Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. There's quite a lot of people here. Um, today, as you know, is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Um, and the title of this preach is called... Um, the promise of the resurrection. Um, and I don't know how most people feel about me preaching. Um, okay, good. But in preparation for this, I've really, really felt the weight of it. Really felt the weight of what it means to preach. And particularly because... Of a few things. One, last week Peter promised that I'd be funny, um, which I've not, not intentionally. Um, two, because um, yesterday I got a call from Mark Russell, um, who's one of my old pastors, and he said he'd come um, and, and listen to me preach. And he is a dear, dear friend, him and his wife Jennifer. He's also uh, a brutal critic. <laughs> Um, but I felt the weight of it because actually it's Easter Sunday and I've been saying to people that actually the, the Easter Sunday preach feels like the Super Bowl of preachers. And it's an honour for me and it truly is, and I'm not, this isn't a joke, um, it truly is an honour for me to preach um, on Easter Sunday um, because it's important. But the, my, my fundamental issue with Easter, I've got one big issue with Easter, is that what we do in, in Christianity is something is so important to us that we give it a day. Or we give it a week. But the thing that is so important to us that it's too big to be contained in a week. So we give it a day, so Christmas. That's the day that, um, that we remember the fact that God became flesh. And, uh, and we only ever talk about it at Christmas. And so if you ever did a Christmas service uh, message in May, people would be like... You've got it wrong. But actually, it's too big to be contained into one day. And you only ever get one Sunday where you're able to preach it. And this is the Sunday that we're going to talk about Easter. But it's, it's too big to be contained. In, in um, a couple of days' time, I've been really busy because I'm pitching for some new work um, for my company. And in a pitch, we have to do a presentation where we're trying to win new business. And um, oh, we're pitching for a milk brand milk brand. And so my mind has been in the world of uh, milk and dairy and lactose intolerance. Um, and they're giving us an hour and a half to talk about milk. And I've got about two hours <laughs> to talk about the resurrection. But the only thing I'd say is this is an iceberg preach. This is a, you only get the tip of the iceberg here and and I'm not going to cover everything that needs to be covered. I'm only going to cover um, one thing that I believe that God has got on my heart. But um, it's important um, that you don't just leave the resurrection within Easter. It becomes something um, that you live with, something that you, you walk with. And hopefully part of what I say today will encourage that in you. Um, I'm going to read from... 1 Corinthians 15, um, up until, I'm going to go up until 26. 
1 to 26. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, As to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Now... If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ was not, has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people the most to be pitied. But if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also comes the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam... All die also in Christ shall be made alive. I'm going to leave it there. Let's, let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would use me to share your word. This isn't about me, it's about your word, and it's what you would have say. And Father, as we Listen to what you would have to say. Father, I pray that we would be ready soil. Father, that we would be ready to receive what you have for us. That it would transform us. That we wouldn't leave here the same, but we would leave changed. Father, if you wish to convict, I pray you convict. If you wish to challenge, I pray you challenge. If you wish to encourage, I pray you encourage. To your glory. Amen. Amen. So the title of my talk is The Promise of the Resurrection, and I'm going to go through four points. Uh, The first point is I want to talk about the importance. Uh, The second is I want to focus on the promise. The third is I want to talk about the nature of the promise, and the fourth, about living in the promise. So the first, the importance. There's some things in the the Christian faith that, that we can debate. Um, Some of you go to house groups, and we have a house group that that we attend, and um, we're going through John at the moment, and there's there's things that people just see differently. You look at one verse, and it's it's usually me and Dave versus the rest. Um, We see it one way, and they see it another way, and, you know, it's all right to disagree in some regards. 
But there are some things in the Christian faith that are so fundamental, so uh, intrinsic to the faith that if you were to remove them or change them or distort them in any way, then you simply remove, it, it, it no longer is Christianity. Um, Paul is talking in the verses that I read to a church in Corinth and he's raising the point that some of them are trying to remove the resurrection. Uh, whether they've been affected by the, the Sadducees, the Sadducees were a Jewish sect that um, didn't believe in the, in the resurrection, whether the people in the church have been affected by conversations with those people, we don't know, but um, these people uh, had taken out the resurrection from, from Christianity, and Paul, rightly so, strongly um, goes against them. And he lists out a number of different things, um, uh, reasons why we shouldn't take it out. Because when we take it out, you, you, you lose the essence of what it is. I was trying to think of a decent analogy um, for this to try and, try and you know, make the point. And I was with my brothers, and we were at Pizza Express, and um, I often talk to my brothers about anything that I'm going to preach. And I was talking to my older brother, Dave, and I said, Dave, I'm trying to think of this analogy that basically says, if you take out the resurrection from Christianity, it's no longer the Christianity. You just ended it. And he goes, John, it's a little bit like this pizza. I was like, first thought, sees the pizza. It's a little bit like this pizza. If you take away the base, it's no longer a pizza. It's a salad. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's so fundamental. The base is so fundamental to this pizza that if you take it out, you've just got this kind of mush. Nothing holds it together. Nothing, there's nothing for it to be put of. Like if someone gave you uh, just this kind of like vegetables and chopped meat and put it on a plate and go, here's your pizza, you'd be like, no, excuse me, Papa John, that's not a pizza. I said, that'll do. <laughs> that'll do. That's, that's a good enough analogy to prove the point. Thanks, Dave. You see what I'm saying? So some things in the faith are so fundamental, so fundamental that we give them a day um, to remember them. And it's important. And the only thing I want to make with this point is it's so important. The resurrection um, is not something that is kind of up for debate. It's not something the next week at your house group you're going to be like, you know, I kind of don't think that there is the resurrection. And I kind of do. And then we'll just leave it and... There has to be a point where if you remove the base, you remove something so foundational, all you get left with is salad. So Paul lists um, a number of different reasons why we shouldn't remove it. And he makes his point quite clearly and I think quite forcibly. Um, but the one thing that I want to focus on today, which leads me to the next point, um, is a focus on the promise. You see, within the resurrection, uh, contained within the resurrection, is a promise. Um, you see, when, when Jesus died on the cross, it was a demonstration of his love. It was to say that I love you so much that I'm willing to die for you. But when Jesus raised, it was a demonstration of his power. It was a demonstration that death cannot hold me. You see, if there was any question before about Jesus' divinity, it is answered in the resurrection. You see, if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then he is not God. 
And you could argue that he's not God. But because he did rise from the dead, he is God. It's what separates Christianity from other sects that say, you know, a lot of Christianity is the same and um, a, a lot of the parts of the Bible are the same, but actually we take out the resurrection. Actually, the thing that sets it apart is that Jesus is God. But Jesus didn't just rise from the dead to prove that he was God and say, I'm God, I'm going back to heaven, listen to what I've said, hope you're happy with what I've said, you know, live it out. It wasn't just a declaration of his power over sin and death, it was a declaration of his intent that in the same way that he was raised, so we shall be raised. You see, I feel like it's easy for us to, or easier for us to think about that of Jesus. But then it starts to get in that kind of like awkward territory. When I go, do you know, Jesus raised from the dead so that one day we will be raised. Within the story of Easter is the promise of eternal life. It's not just a truth about Jesus' past, but it is a truth about your future. And if we're honest with ourselves, and I'm going to hold my hand up and say, um, in preparation for this talk, I, I kind of wanted to talk about some of the easier, you know, the, the, the more palatable parts of the Easter story, because um, it's just easier to talk about. But I felt convicted that I should talk about this, because there's a tension sometimes between the hope of, the re- of, of eternal life. You see, on one side, it, 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 it's our greatest longing. We want eternal life. Not only do we want eternal life, but we want all sin to be dealt with. We want one day where there will be no pain, where there will be no suffering, no tears, where all justice will be resolved. We want that. It's our deepest, deepest longing. But then on the other side, it feels just so distant. The resurrection, the resurrection of the dead... Like me rising from the dead. It's just, it's one of those kind of, it blows your mind. So you're like, I just think about loving people. And it's not something that we usually do, especially on, like on an Easter service. It's when lots of people come into the church and we're like, yeah, all right, let's talk about something that's going to be digestible. Let's not talk about the fact that we're all going to raise from the dead. But that's what I want to talk about. The thing, the disconnect between the deepest longing, the deepest longing and the fact that it's difficult to digest is because we just think it's optimistic. We just think, do you know, I'd love to, I'd love to think, I'd love to think that I get to see my loved ones again. I'd love to think that I raise from the dead. I'd love to think that I live eternally. I'd love to think that there's justice is going to happen and that every wrongdoing will be paid for. You know, I'd love to think that, um, that there will be no pain and there will be no suffering. But you know what? I'm finding it really difficult, difficult to, to understand that. So do you know what? I, I will I'll live out my Christian life and I, I kind of understand the whole loving people bit because it kind of works for me. People love me back when I love them. <laughs> So I'll just ignore the resurrection. But I'd say that there's something really dangerous in that. 
And there's something that you're missing in that. And that I'd question the fact that the reason, the reason why you, you, me, I'm talking to me because in preparation for this, it's kind of common for me to go, oh my goodness, um, I should change the topic. The reason why I ignore it is because I, I do. I, just, I think sometimes it's just wishful thinking. I work for a company, and our um, kind of motto is "Nothing is impossible." And it's written on the steps of our building, and you know it's brought up in every meeting. And I tell you, what, our clients—they love to remind us. And there's a point where I sit down and I go, "Yeah, yeah I get that. Nothing is impossible. This is impossible." <laughs> you, you have to. There's this kind of wishful thinking that you think that this, the resurrection is associated with sometimes. And, and I find optimistic people just a bit jarring sometimes. I don't know about you. People that are just like really optimistic. And you're like, just get a reality check. But actually the thing that changes um, this concept, this doctrine from being just this optimism that you kind of, you hope for. But I'll just live today. The thing that changes that is the third point. It is the nature of the promise. You see, the nature of a God promise is so different from the nature of a man promise. Um, I make a lot of promises. Sarah has lived with a lot of empty promises. Um, Not my vows. Um, (laughs) Keeping to those. Or trying to. Um, but, you know, so Sarah will say, and this is a big thing in my, in my house, like the, the, the way the chores are set out in my house is Sarah does everything and I promise to do the bathroom. <laughs> and Sarah does the bathroom. <laughs> I, I'm always like, and this is, <laughs> Sarah's, this is a real thing. This is real talk now. Church, I'm revealing a part of my soul to you. <laughs> this is a real thing. Sarah does everything. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do the bathroom. And then two weeks go by. I'm like, this bathroom's clean. I'm doing a good job. Sarah's done it like four times. The, the promises of man are empty. And, and, and sometimes they're fulfilled and sometimes they're not. And so, and so you, you kind of you make a call based on your judgment of, of that person and of past experience. And you look at those, those promises and you go, hmm. And, and actually, we, we don't hold a lot of stock in, in people's promises. And so what we do is we, we apply that kind of thinking and that doubt and that cynicism to what God says. But the Bible says that God is not a man that he should lie. The thing is, the nature of God's word is so different. It's so other from the word of a man. When God says something, it's so sure I um, as you know, I work in advertising, and um, I'm often coming up against the legal teams of companies where we're trying to say something to make it sound like a nice thing, and the legal team are going, "You can't technically say that because it's not right." So we had this um, TV ad where we were trying to say, um, "We will do this." And so we wrote it, and everyone was like, yeah, this sounds really good. And we have to pass it through legal. And legal come back to me and say, you can't say the word will. And I'm like, 
Well, what can we say then? You can say may. So we're going to say, we may do this. You realize the dilemma we've got here. We can't say this thing. There's no point in us saying it because as soon as you add may, you add this element of doubt in it. And you're like, well, we need a different proposition. We're going to have to say something completely different. And they're like, why doesn't may work? I'm like, that's why you do what you do. (laughs) But the Bible is certain when it makes statements. So when in Philippians 1.6 it says, he who began a good work will bring it into completion. There's a certainty in God's word. There's an assurance in God's word. It's not, it's not like um, salvation is kind of like, maybe, there might be eternal life. Gamble. God doesn't, God doesn't kind of give us that. He says, there will be eternal life. Now trust it. That's why faith is described as the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of things hoped for. It's not, I, I just, I kind of hope there's a re- resurrection. I kind of hope that there's eternal life. I kind of hope it's like wishful optimism. No, it's assurance. It takes, it, it almost like there's hope, but you build upon it. That's why it says of Abraham, he hoped against hope. Abraham, I mean, it doesn't matter how familiar you are with the story, right? You, you think about it, it is nuts. He's like 100 years old, and God's saying, there's gonna, you're going to have an inheritance of like some people that are going to be yours and you're going to have a kid and he's looking at himself and going I'm 100 years old man I mean we get to you know if there's someone who's like 70 in here you'd be like come on I'm 70 worse than that he's looking at his wife his wife is 90 I mean 100 you might be thinking um, you know um, I, I might do <laughs> <laughs> History doesn't prove it, you know, history doesn't say that I will, but I've tried for a hundred years. <laughs> He's looking at his wife. The difference is, he, he knew God. He knew God. It wasn't just optimism. He didn't, like, he didn't just say, um, yeah, I kind of hope this still happens. We're going to st- still keep trying. His wife's like, yeah? <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> he had a promise from God, and he knew the certainty of a God promise. There's a famous um, quote that says, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds my future. And I love that quote. Um, it shows that there's a relationship with God, there's an acknowledgement of who God is that says, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but, but I know God. I know the nature of God. But I, I take it further. I'm going to trademark this quote. I know what the future holds. Because the one who holds my future has promised it. I know what the future holds. Because there's a promise that God has given See, when we understand, when we get an understanding of, of the nature of God, then the God promises become completely out of context of the promises of man. 
You see, there's something in the word of God. You know, it says God spoke the world into being. There's something in the power of the word of God that is just slightly different. I mean, you try and speak something into being, you'll waste an afternoon. But God has this power through his word that is just so sure, so certain, that you can trust it. And that is where faith comes in. That's why... Without faith, you can't please God. That's why this whole thing is called, you know, it's our faith. Because we have an assurance of things hoped for. There's something, it's not necessarily, you know, there, there's promises for today. There are. There are so many promises. If you, if you read the Bible, you will see promises for you today that you can live in and enjoy. But, you know, there's promises for things that we hoped for. Things that are distant. And it works like this. The relationship that you have with God now gives you confidence in that future. And how we think about that future really affects how we live today. There's something in God's word that brings the future promises of God to today. They're so sure that we can live in them. They're so true that we can live in them. My question to the church is this. How is your intimate, personal relationship with God? Because those things that you struggle with, those things that are just pretty distant, so you choose to kind of ignore them and focus on the easier, kind of more visible things of the Christian life. If you have that intimate relationship with God, it almost expands your horizon to this world of faith. That brings the the full truth of the Bible. It brings the full promise of the Bible into your life today. And it means that you can live in it. Because I, I would suggest that, and I would suggest that for me, that I often live in a few, a handful, a small amount of the promises of God because I take them as, yeah, you kind of proved yourself in it there, so I kind of see it, so I'm going to trust that. But the things that I've not seen... The things that are a bit far off, I'm going to leave that and I'm going to live in this small selection of promises as opposed to the full promise of God. You see, faith in the resurrection, assurance of the hope of the resurrection is not a, um, an additional bit. You can't just kind of have faith that God is going to you know, provide for me today and um, whatever but then ignore the assurance of resurrection. You can't. It says, if you, if you confess with your lips and you believe in your heart, what? That Jesus was raised from the dead. It is it's fundamental to your salvation. It's not something that you can ignore. It's not something that we can um, put to the side and live in a few of the other more palatable promises. I want to finish with this. The final thing is living in the promise. You see, there's, a, there's, a, there's characteristics of people that, that really do live in that promise. There's people, and, and, and you can see that in their lives, and you can see it when you don't live in that promise. You can see it the way your life reflects it. And I, I would make the distinction between the things that perish and investing in the things that perish and the things that don't perish, and investing in the things that are eternal. 
You see, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal, for where your treasure is, there will, will there will your heart be also. You see, there's something in the life of someone that has understood the promise of the resurrection, the promise of eternal life, that their life is committed to investing in the eternal things. And on the, the other side of that, and this is the challenging side, there's something in the life of people that, that do not think about or accept the truth of eternity and the resurrection. That means that they invest in only today. They invest in the things that will pass away. And, and I, I wasn't sure how heavy to go with this one, but I feel like, you know, you're my church family and I love you and I'm going to go for it. So it's really important that you get to grips with the promise of eternity, the promise of eternal life. Because it will affect what you do today. And if you find in yourself that you have a habit of investing in things that will fade away, then I would challenge you, have you ignored the resurrection? Have you ignored the promise of eternity? Heavy. What is investing in eternity? What does that mean? I'd suggest that it's investing in the things of God, investing in the kingdom of God. Um, You see, the Bible is really clear that there is a reward for the good things that you do. And it's really important that we make a distinction between that being the thing that that, that you, you receive salvation from versus the thing that is evidence of your salvation. I didn't say that very clearly. There are rewards for the good things that you do. But those good things don't give you salvation. The, the, the salvation comes through, through faith um, in, in Jesus alone. But the faith in Jesus, faith in Jesus, means that you do those good works. You see... Um, the good we do doesn't contribute to our salvation, but it is a demonstration of our salvation. And see, when I was younger, my mum always used to say this to me. I, I used to do something good, and I'd kind of not hold up my hand because I wasn't that much of a money grabber, but I used to kind of look at her as if to say, are you going to reward me for this? And my mum would say, uh, treasure's in heaven, John. <laughs> and I'd be like, I don't want heaven money. I want human money, man. I don't like my bank account in heaven. I'm not going to be able to take that out for a long time. I want, I want some. It's not an ISA. <laughs> but it's true, and and although it's you know to a child, it's just my mum's way of making sure she didn't have to reward me. Um, but there is there is a real truth in that. And Jesus says it. Sometimes we look at we look at we're doing good things in the church, and we're like, God, is there going to be a reward for this? 
I need to, I need to you know, I, w- I want to get rewarded for the things that I do. But actually, God, God will reward you. He's just storing it up in heaven. And, and the, the extent to which you believe that is the extent to which you will live in faith in this life. I'm going to end, but the final question I have is this. Why did the Corinthians try and take out the resurrection? Is it did they consciously take it out because um, I don't know that they it was it was just too big a concept. I just you know it's too big for me to understand. It's it's really difficult to digest. It makes me feel awkward in front of my non-Christian friends. Is that why they took it out? There's a scholar, um, a scholar, a Jewish writer who wrote at the time of um, the early church. It's a non-biblical writer called Josephus and. He makes this point. He said, the only people that the Sadducees managed to convince were the rich. The only people that the Sadducees managed to convince were the rich. The Sadducees took out the resurrection. The only people they could convince that there was no resurrection was the rich. What does that mean? I'd suggest that we don't often take out the resurrection because it's too big a doctrine to understand or we haven't got a close and intimate relationship with God, which means that we don't trust God. I suggest that sometimes we take it out subconsciously because we're comfortable. Because investing in this world has meant that we are so comfortable and we, and we don't even have to think of eternity. And it's actually the uncomfortable among us that look to that day. Those that are really going through it, that say, I I consider the sufferings of this present time nothing compared to the glory set before me. There's something in being comfortable in this world which which it, it, it ruins our vision for eternity. And I'm not saying that we should urge, we, we should try and be uncomfortable. But what I'm saying is, it's a challenge to leave you with. Are we so comfortable that we believe that the promises of God are all here and now? That we consider the blessings of God as a bit of money here and now, and a flat here and now. And that we contain an eternity of blessings in the here and now. Because we've seen what it means to be comfortable here. You know, I I don't think we're supposed to be comfortable as Christians. I think we're supposed to long for the day. I think we're we're supposed to be ready for the day. And there's something about being comfortable, which means that we, we hold on to things here so tight. That's my challenge to leave you with. My challenge is, remember the importance of the resurrection. Remember that contained within the resurrection is an amazing promise, the most incredible promise that fulfills our innermost longing, that the nature of the promise is sure, that that God is, 
is true and that your relationship with God now really affects how you think about what God has promised for you and that true faith is the assurance of things hoped for and that living in the promise means investing in the eternal things. I'm going to pray. Would you stand with me? That would be great. Father, I pray that in my ramblings, your word has gone forth and that your Holy Spirit is convicting your people and that your Holy Spirit is encouraging your people. For those of us that are comfortable, I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't let that comfort block our view of the hope of eternity. And for those of us that are uncomfortable, I pray you would encourage us in the joy of the hope of eternity. Father, as we sing, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us individually. I pray, Lord, that you, would, um, you wouldn't contain it within this day, but it would be the start of something or the continuation of something where we understand that we have a hope beyond this life and that hope is sure. I pray this. In your son's name, amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.